Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I of course cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show, that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. And we're back. I think you're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. I'm joined this morning by my brother and business partner, Justin McNamara. No Kirk here today. He has the day off. Justin is joining me today. Good morning. Good morning. Um, and we also have a Peter Mullen, who's a recurring guest. He's with American Consumer Credit Counseling. Uh, you can find out more about his organization at consumercredit.com, not the other random email ad- uh, web address I tried to give out earlier. Yeah, just so you know, ACCC.com is available, looks like. It's, there's no one at no Oh, one you guys should, you, over. You should grab it. <laughs> you can use that, too. Websites are like sixteen ninety nine a year. You, you should just grab it. Probably not that one, though. Um, all right. Before the break, we were talking about um, the psychology of overspending. Really, what we wanted to talk about today was sort of a broad um, things you should have. Uh, what, what did we title it? Things you should have known at age 21, but you were probably never yeah, taught. Yeah, I 21. <laughs> like ba- just basic personal finance type stuff. And we've gotten to like very small uh, part of our outline, but that's okay. Because we, we had, I had a lot of fun talking about that psychology stuff and overspending and people's habits and um and and what makes people tick in the world of spending money and saving money and um peter you had a you mentioned off air you had a couple of things you wanted to add to that before we moved on to the next topic yeah i just would like to leave people on a more positive note that again this is this is my whole message in life it's all about you can do it and these things are possible and don't give up so what follows with that i go back to my friend trent ham again 
who divides from his own experience, how he failed, but then learned not learned to do better into both extrinsic motivation and intrinsic motivation. So let's give some very quick examples of those. The extrinsic motivation that helped him succeed and that would help your listeners succeed is start to picture the end result of what you're trying to do. So that's the goal that you just talked about your client. But do things like literally post a picture of the goal around the house on your mirror. Have like those things like they have like a thermometer type of a scale. It looks like a thermometer and you fill it in. So it goes from zero to five. Yeah. 1,000, yeah. 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000, you and maybe your kids who's involved, color it in as you reach the thousand. So that's a visual reminder. That's an extrinsic motivator that mm. keeps aware of your goal. Get other loved ones involved. There's nothing better than no, don't keep your goal a secret. Don't keep your budget a secret. Share it with significantly other significant others who will help you work toward the goal. So if your friends, for instance, know you're trying to do a goal of savings, they won't invite you out every Friday night to go out and get chicken wings because recognize that part of what you're trying to do is, you know, do the save the money. Even if you're really bold, post it on Facebook and say, hey, hey, work with me here. You know, I'm trying to save some money, you know, and look at what I've done so far. All these thumbs up, all this encouragement, all these smiley faces all begin to encourage you extrinsically to support you toward making the goal. It means your likelihood of failure is less, right? Intrinsically, it's a matter of you just trying to try frugal tactics. Just start to experiment and try to do things and see where you can save money. Now, he gives a really good example that my wife actually kicked in on as well, and I thought it was a fantastic example. He says, make room for frugality. So a good example is this. A typical uh, person coming home at night, most parents coming home at night, don't feel like cooking, right? So what do a lot of people do when they're tired and bedraggled and kind of, you know, whatever? They go out and what? Order something. Go out to eat. (laughs) Order something. Take out. Whatever. That's expensive. So if you got into the habit of in the morning when you have more energy, and I give credit to my wife on this one, that you might cook up a pound of beef as an example. And you cook it up 10, you know, pound of beef, you put it into 10 little baggies of little be- things of beef, maybe the same thing with veggies. You take 10 minutes then, put them all in the freezer. Then when you get to the five o'clock or six o'clock time, you can grab some of those baggies of veggies of, mm-hmm. and then throw in some noodles or something. And now you've got yourself a stir fry. You didn't take a lot of work at night when you're tired. You bought it and you are spreading out that beef as an example. So it gets very cheap. So it's both a winner on the time side and on the money saving side. These are habits that you're doing. Habits is what we now come back to. You're starting to put habits into play that you do one day at a time. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I, it's hard because it's hard to give blanket advice to people to help them change their habits. Because as we talked about early in this segment, when we were talking about the psychology of overspending, there's a lot of different reasons that people overspend or, uh, or, and, or don't hit their savings goals. And mm-hmm. so, um, but I, it sounds to me like step one is to figure out what is the reason mm-hmm. 
and then, you know, re- really dig into it, it, step one, figure out what's the reason I'm overspending. Maybe, yeah. or maybe number one is set, set some goals for yourself. Like we talked about. So there's something else to direct your energy toward yeah. um, and then determine the reason you're overspending. And then, and then, you know, it's, it, it, and then dig into it. What, how can I change it? Right. It's, it sounds like it's going to be different for everybody. Absolutely. So just quickly in my practice, one of the things I do is I do counseling, financial counseling. I'm not going to dig in their past. I will simply say to them, what are the financial challenges you're facing today? Mm. What is important to you? Where do you want to go? What is, what do you want to do? My mission is to work with each individual to help figure out how I can help them achieve the best Mm. thing. And a typical one, typical good example is lowering credit card debt and trying to get your credit card score up. That's Mm -hmm. a universal. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. then that means, okay, good. Work with me here. Let's do it. Let's run your credit report. Let's see what it says. Some people don't want to do that. I don't want to know it. Well, if you want to fix it, we got to look at it. Okay. So Mm -hmm. now believe me, trust me. Let's look at it and let's see what we can do here. It's the same with like weight loss, right? Like you don't want to get up. I don't want to know the number. It's it's very similar to weight loss or health. Do you know how many times I've equated budgeting to weight loss? It is so many similarities in terms of the mindset and the behavior and and the the reasons that people don't make progress. It's so interesting. Let let me give you one other that will blow your brain. And and that has to go with the motivation. Do you know, as this time of year, everyone does New Year's resolutions. Mm -hmm. One statistic I just read read was, this is from a thing called Her Story. That's the name of the uh, herstory.com. That they say something like two thirds of the gym memberships that are bought at the beginning of the year are unused. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah. $1.8 billion worth of unused membership because the intent, the intent is there. Mm -hmm. Follow through motivation to see yourself trim and great and beautiful over here. That's the picture. That's the extrinsic. But what are you doing on the intrinsic side? What are you putting into place to make the habit happen? What do you do each day? You want that fit, great body over here. Great. There's a picture on your mirror. But what are you doing along the way to have people work with you, to instill the habits, to begin to actually set 10 minutes aside to do something? If you don't do it and just sit on the couch, you ain't getting anywhere. All about building habits. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Um, I, I want to move on to like the importance of saving early. I, I can't believe it's already um, yeah. uh, what time it is. We spend so much time on that, but I thought that was super interesting, all that psychology stuff. So thank you. And I'm very jealous, by the way, about this Trent Ham, Trent Ham gentleman and that he's more famous than yeah. I am. I had to Google him and I'll have to Google him and check it out. Um, all right. So, you know, we, if we, if we think about, there's two other things we need to get to, I think before the show ends today, when we talk about all the stuff you should have learned at 21, but probably were never taught. One of them is credit related stuff. So I do want to get into that, Peter, before the end of the show. I know that's your expertise is largely in that area. Um, I should actually, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean that your expertise is very broad, but you have more expertise in the area of credit than I do. Um, but I want to get into the importance of saving early and my mind goes towards saving for retirement early just because that's one of the biggest financial goals that people have and you know Justin and I work with people every single day on saving for retirement but we could also group in there like saving for college or saving really for any other large goal um, mm-hmm. whether it's whether it's a 20 something saving for their first home you know mm-hmm. it really 
I guess, really the importance of saving early for any large finance. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I want to spend a little bit of time on that. Um, and, and then you talked about increasing your net worth. And I think that those are very s- similar. But um, the, the I, I guess when it comes to um, the, the best way that I can illustrate the importance of saving early is – well, we can, I can pull up, we can pull up some financial calculators, Justin, right? And we can do some, you know, savings over different periods of time. Like that, that those are very impactful, I think, especially when you do like 20, 30, 40 years and you're saving over long, long periods of time. Those are super impactful. But just like one way that I can best explain it is like the, the, it's important to save early because the larger your money is earlier in life, the harder your money works for you, which takes the pressure off you adding more money to your your account. And I'm talking in this uh, regard about investment accounts that have some sort of earnings um, because earnings over time and, and you know, help you grow your money. So there, there's two ways that you grow your money. Number one, you add money to an account, right? Let's, talk, let's call it a retirement account. If you add money to your account, your account will get bigger over time. And if your money has earnings like in the markets over time, then that's the second way that you're, that you can grow your wealth over time. Am I missing something? Like there's only two ways, right? You either add more money or your money earns money, right? And, and, and ideally both, right? So if, for example, if you're 40 years old and you have a hundred thousand dollars in your 401k and in that year, your 401k is up 10%, your earnings were 10, your, your money grew. Let's pretend you didn't add anything to it, just for example. It, your 100,000 was up 10% in the market. So that's $10,000 that your account grew that year, right? If you were 40 years old again and you have $500,000 in your 401k and your 401k is up 10% that year, you, your account grew by $50,000. So let's pretend in that example, you didn't add anything, right? You didn't make any contributions that year, but just the fact that that person that has 500,000, I know I'm using big numbers, but it's more impactful and more fun and and not that far from reality. I know 40 year olds that have $500,000 in their 401k, right? And, And that person that has that larger chunk of money versus the person that has that smaller chunk of money, they're, they didn't even, neither, they didn't even have to do anything, right? That in order for that $100,000 person to be in the same place as that $500,000 person, they had to add $40,000 of their own money to have the same earnings in that one year, right? So that's what I mean by the larger your money is earlier in life, the harder your money can work for you in the markets. Of course, we don't always have positive years in the market. Sometimes markets go down and we have depreciation in the markets, of course. But in a nor average-ish year, the bigger your amount of money, the harder it works for you. And again, that takes the pressure off adding more of your own money, right? And that's just, I, maybe that's like super simple, but when you, when, you, when you do the math, it's pretty astounding, right? And, and there could be a 40-year-old with $20,000 in their 401k. And, and when, what is that person, how, how quickly is that account growing versus the person that saved harder earlier, grew their money earlier so that the money works for them. And again, that takes pressure off. Does that make sense? Um, and I think the other, go ahead, Peter. 
I, I, I thought Justin was going to uh, comment on that, but I, I'm glad to. If, if I... <laughs> Peter's always happy to chime in. <laughs> <laughs> Alyssa did say that I don't even think uh, Peter and I will need you this show, and, I, and it was right. You guys, yeah, you guys are very good I, talkers. Yeah. I told Justin that he could. He was like, you could have a day off if you wanted. <laughs> and I sort of am over here, you know. Yeah, that's fine. That's cool. So what what I would what I would add the flavors that I would add to what you just said, Alyssa. Again, I mean, absolutely agree that obviously the more money you have, the, the it, it becomes one of the things that money makes money. Okay, that's yeah. great. Yeah. There's also the other sides of it are there's a couple other elements that make it a little bit more complex. There's things that drain your money as well. So mm-hmm. there's like taxes, fees, and even um, the basis points that you pay. I hate to say it. Not to uh, no, fair enough. But there yep. is fees yep. for whom you picked, where you put your money. So where you park your money and in what investments also makes a big difference in the whole equation. It was not yep. a simple thing of saying, I have $500,000, I'm good, no worries. No, you have to put it in the right place, put it with the right people. You have to recognize what time does to money. It erodes it. And according to how you did it, when you do it, how old you are, there's many other levels here that either erode your money or waste away some of it. So yes, I agree with you that for the most part, money begets money. What you add to it absolutely is critical. Starting earlier is better. It's better to try to start to build your 500000 when you're 20 than it is to start to try to build it when you're 50. It's yeah. just you have too much ground to try to make up. It's generally not possible with people's uh, income. Yeah. So there is lots of layers to it, but absolutely the universals are start early. And then I throw in our H word again, habit. Start to early on build the habit that if you want to have money later on when you get to be old like me, you want to have some money set aside so they don't have to be uh, working for the rest of your life. And that's that's, that's what you want. Let's do a quick calculation because I think I think numbers make for great radio. My dad used to tell me, don't do too many numbers on the radio. It doesn't make for good radio. But once in a while, once in a while. All right. So just really quick example. If I just run a quick savings calculator, quick example, we'll use some relatively small dollars. If I assume someone say this, this is, well, I'll explain in a minute. If I assume someone saves a hundred dollars a month for, for a very long time though, for 40 years, very long time and you have to be consistent with it, right? So so this one person saves a hundred dollars a month for 40 years. And I assume I'm gonna assume it's invested. I was gonna use a seven percent per year rate of return. Does anybody have any problem with that? So the total amount, the total amount of money that they invest over that 40 year period of time, twelve hundred dollars a month, 40 years, is forty-eight thousand dollars. But at seven percent earnings every year over 40 years like so you have your earning your money earns money and then there's earnings on the earnings and this is compounding earnings right so the the future balance of a hundred dollars a month 40 years from now at seven percent is two hundred and forty seven thousand dollars okay now you just mentioned it's earlier to start it's better to start saving earlier peter right what if we have this a second person save for only 20 years, but we're going to have them save the same amount of money. They're going to save $200 a month for 20 years. So they're saving the same amount of money 
but it's over a shorter period of time. It's half the period of time. It's 20 years is still a long time, but it's not 40 years, right? So they're say, they put away the same $48,000, but their future balance, does anybody want to guess, is only 101000 instead of $247,000 in the first example. So $100 a month over 40 years is $247,000. Excuse me, at 7% per year. $200 over 20 years at the same 7% per year is less than half in terms of ending value, $101,000. That is crazy. No matter how many times I do this example, it just... It's just crazy. The math. And, and if, you know, I, I guess I should caveat that. I know we, we um, that's like an average 7%, right? So we have good years in the markets and bad years. And you mentioned paying attention to fees and things like that. All very important. But even if, even if uh, it's anything similar to that, that's crazy math. And that's because, and that's, that's why investment professionals say start early in life, start young. The more time you have to invest, the better off you'll be. It's much easier to save over. So, so number one, earnings, that, that, and that's the power of compounding earnings. That's like you're investing your money, and then your money's earning money, and then the next year your money and your earnings earned money, right? And then the next year your money and your earnings and your earnings earned money. So it's that's compounds. Like it's like that snowball rolling downhill, and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger with those earnings over time. And the longer the hill is, the bigger your snowball is going to be at the end. And so it. It's, it's, it's much, so number one, compounding earnings is super powerful over a very long period of time. Of course, 40 years is a very long time to have consistent savings habits. Absolutely. But it's also in that example, don't you think it's easier for someone to save a hundred bucks a month than to save 200 bucks a month? Maybe like younger in life, you're not earning as much money. So I can see how that might, you know, we, we could we could talk around that a, a lot. But but in general, right, it's easier for someone to tuck away 100 bucks a month than to tuck away 200 bucks a month because you're you're saving half as much. Right. But you're doing it for a longer period of time. So I think that doing examples like that, just super, super impactful. Um, we do have to actually take a break. Do you have anything quick to add, Peter, or we can save it till we come I'll back? I'll catch it after the break. OK, um, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined with Peter Mullen of American Consumer Credit Counseling and my brother and business partner, Justin McNamara with McNamara Financial. Um, check us out at McNamaraFinancial.com or McNamaraOfTheMerrimack.com. You can find out more about Peter at American I'm sorry, at consumercredit.com. We're just taking a quick break. We're talking about the things you should have learned at 21 regarding personal finance, of course, but we're probably never taught. And we're going to continue on that when we get back. Be right back. Hi, this is Alyssa Reed with McNamara Financial in Marshfield. Your investment strategy should largely be determined by the amount of time you have before needing the money. If you are aggressively invested, time is your friend when it comes to your portfolio recovering from this scary stock market. If you need your invested money soon, it should have been conservative to begin with. If you're not sure how your money is invested, I'd be happy to offer my opinion. 781-834-2010. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Don't send a text, by the way, because I lost that phone that had that text number. So we need to change that. I need to update you that. You found it again, no? No, I found it, but it's I don't have it with me. So don't send a text today. Um, actually, we haven't had that phone for it's got to be a year, right? And I'm nervous. Speaking of like denial, right? Like, 
people that don't want to know their credit score or step on the scale. I don't want to plug the phone in because I don't want to see how old some of the text messages are. Oh, I should do that though. I know. Um, All right. You're listening to McNamara on money. I'm Alyssa McNamara Reed. We're talking this morning about things you should have known at 21, but were probably never taught. We're talking about the world of personal finance, of course. Um, and we have I'm a lot to this. cover in the next half hour. I know. Twenty-seven minutes. Lightning round. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's it's always good to have be over prepared. I just I get nervous doing the outlines. I just I I just I, I'd rather I wonder have if we should skip more. over the credit stuff or well, you know I don't, maybe we can let Peter Peter decide that. But it seems like no, it's maybe a whole uh, other side that we could come back for. You know what I mean? Uh, but, yeah, maybe. we could do a whole other show on credit. Um, that's my brother, Justin McNamara with McNamara on money. And we have Peter American, a uh, Peter American, Peter Mullen from American <laughs> Consumer Credit Counseling. Um, before we figure out where we're going to go next, Peter, did you have something to piggyback on that compounding yeah. earnings example? I, I do, because I'm again, I'm always thinking of um, my clientele is often folks with very little, little or no money. So coming, trying to just add that perspective to the whole thing, too. Please do. Yeah question that I often get is this. If I have a given, if I do have a thousand bucks, as an example, what should I do? Should I pay down debt? Mm. Okay. So yeah. here, my quick answer is, for, first of all, ideally, and I, it's hard to get around this, you need to have an emergency fund of some amount because the expense of not having some amount, I can't tell you what it is. You have to figure it out. But typically a thousand dollars is what you should need for an emergency fund those things that you don't expect, but if you get past that, so let's kind of put that aside for a second. And if I have a thousand dollars and the question from a client is, should I invest it or should I um, uh, pay down debt? The, the quick answer is the amount that you get like in typical investments, like on in a bank is less than half a percent interest. But for that same thousand that I have on a credit card sitting here, I'm paying 20% interest. Yeah. The smart use of that money in the short term is always pay down your debt first. Debt, unfortunately, drains you a lot quicker than the investment side grows. Mm. So unless you have a good tap into some super-duper investment, like you were mentioning 7%, which I understand to be largely through the stock market, mm-hmm. example, overall historically. Yes market returns 7% interest. Great. But that's over 15, 20 years it has. Right. But today, this week, this month, I have $1,000. What do I do with it? Customers and clients have to know getting rid of your debt is usually number one. It's, it's, it's not adding money. It's draining money. It's like you have a boat with a hole in it. First job, plug the leak. Plug the leak first. Then start worrying about how you're going to get the boat moving. I could talk for 45 minutes on this topic. And quite honestly, we, Justin, we should do a whole show on this topic. We do this a lot. Yeah, we do it a lot. Yeah, I know. I know. So so for, for people, Peter, I agree with you for people that have credit card debt, what I would call like high interest rate debt. Absolutely agree with you in that regard, especially with cash earning zero. Right. But then there's this whole other category of, uh, well, a whole other situation where someone might have cash in the bank, but uh, a mortgage at, I just heard the lowest I've heard ever recently, Justin, is I just talked to a client that had a mortgage at 1.9%. So like, 
Yeah, that's the lowest number I've heard in, in this oh. refi boom here. Normally, you know, 2.2. Before that, it was like 2.2. So, but then, but then there's these other situations, Peter, where it might make sense to invest your money versus of paying course. down debt. If you have debt at 1.9 or 2.2 or 2.9% and, and you're investing in something that, again, has a long investment time horizon, right? And, and, and then there are some times where we talk through, yeah, maybe it does make sense to um, invest versus pay down mm-hmm. debt. But then, oh my gosh, yes, I really could talk about this forever because then it depends on what is your age, what's your situation, yeah. how many years left on the mortgage, right? Like it's, there's all this other stuff stuff that that factors in but for the people yeah. that you're generally working with that you know are trying to clean up debt and maybe don't have large cash balances they might not have started their investment accounts yet like generally speaking of course you're going to pay down you're going to use your cash to pay down debt at 20% versus tucking in the bank yeah so so this is what makes here's what makes us the same then Alyssa we may have different clientele mm-hmm. we are doing here's the same thing that we are both doing we're both assessing where this individual is today, what their money situation is today, how much is coming in, how much is going out, and what what are they trying to do, their goals. So yeah. we're, we're both doing the same kind of thing, trying to analyze the best pathway for them to go, given all these facts. Can either one of us just say a one-size-fits-all solution? <laughs> right. No, that's the reason why you get paid the big bucks. <laughs> Is because you well, are thinking it through and coming out with all the best scenarios for this person. And then you're picking paths at path B because that seems to be the best for them. Yeah. I do the same thing. I offer them paths A, B, C, and D. I don't tell them the path. I say, this is what you're going to get behind door A, door B, and door C. You you pick. You pick which one yeah works for you. Yeah. Well, I mean, a good advisor would assess the situation and yeah. give tailored yeah. advice, right? That's just great. Right. That's no brainer. Yeah. Um, w- one of the things, and again, there's like a lot of stuff that people yeah. should know at age 21 that, that they were, ne- that we're trying to teach them today if they were never taught, but you know, we're not going to get to all of it today, but I do think that, and maybe this is um, one of the things I just wanted to touch on, and maybe we don't need to talk about it for a long time is just the importance of keeping debt to a minimum. And, um, and number one, because, um, and and maybe this is obvious, but, but debt costs money, right? So like we could do a quick example, like if you bought, um, uh, and I can even do an example in a low, lowish interest rate debt. Like if you're going to, um, uh, take a loan on a car versus paying cash for a car. Like it it just taking on debt, number one costs money because there's the cost of the interest that you're paying to the lender, the bank. Right. And, and number two, when you're paying, and I, when you're paying down debt, it limits your ability to, spend money elsewhere in your life. And that could be on fun stuff, but it could also be on savings targets, right? If you're paying down debt, you don't have as much money for your other, uh, for savings or for lifestyle type stuff. But Opportunity like, loss. this is like the, yeah. And, and again, maybe this is obvious, but I think the numbers are impactful. And, and I think that people, especially people starting out in life need to understand how borrowing money, whether it's on a credit card or like a, a, any sort of loan, it, you're spending sometimes a lot more on that purchase 
then that then that item actually costs like like if you're gonna let's call it a twenty even a twenty thousand dollar car. I don't know what you can really get these days for a twenty for twenty thousand dollars in the world of automobiles. It's not going a long way these days. But even if you're taking a twenty thousand dollar car loan, if you had the cash, if you had saved some money and paid cash for that car, the car costs twenty thousand dollars, right? But if you take a twenty thousand dollar loan over, it seems like a lot of car loans are six years now. For a long time, it was like five years, right? But yep. but let's let's even just do it over five years. That'll be a smaller number than if we did it over six years. And what do we use? Four per three percent interest, four percent interest rate on a car these days. I'm going to use 4% interest rate on a five-year car loan on a $20,000 car. So that payment is like $375 a month, but what you end up paying out for the car is $22,500. So these are kind of, that's kind of small numbers, but it's still that, so now that car didn't cost you 20,000. It costs you 22,500. And if you do this with mortgages, it's crazy numbers. Right? <laughs> we don't need to do that today because not, well, actually a lot of people today are paying cash for houses, but most people can't save up cash for a house and buy a house for cash. So it's not really, it's a kind of an interesting exercise, but, but we don't need to do that today. But it's the just same brief, thing. Well, I, I have it just just briefly a three hundred thousand dollar mortgage of thirty years at four percent. Even at four percent, which is a just decent rate, uh, you pay two hundred and fifteen thousand dollars in interest. Just an in interest, so it almost doubles yeah, so the yeah. The, and, and that's even a relatively small mortgage based on what real estate is in New England today. Yep. Um, yeah, the, 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 just the cost to the lender of borrowing money. And if you do this math on a, I mean, with credit card interest rates, even if you do it on like a $2,000 couch, right? Like you buy a, you, you know, you buy a couch at wherever for $2,000, you put it on a credit card. Let's even call it 15%, which is probably low in the world of credit cards, right, Peter? And if it takes you, yeah. I don't know, three years to pay it off, you're going to end up paying uh, 2600 bucks for that couch. Even if you, three years is probably kind of a short period of time for somebody to pay that off if, if, mm-hmm. if they have to put that on a credit card. But it just, just the cost of interest mm-hmm is an expense that people might not think a lot about. Like they know it's there. They know that they're paying interest. Um, but have you done the math in terms of what are you really paying for that purchase and is it worth it? And, and generally for like mortgages, of course, just because it's so hard for people to save up cash to, you know, to, to pay cash for a house, but for other purchases really like, remember back to that mental state, like really thinking through like the psychology of it all. Like, Mm -hmm. does it make sense? Is it worth it for me to spend almost $3,000 on this $2,000 couch? Right. Versus, versus keeping my crappy couch for a little bit longer and and paying cash for it. You you know, I, I just comes back to the psychology of, of it all. And I'll just say one more time that like when you carry debt, it limits your ability or inhibits your ability to, you know, do other things with that money. If you have a $500 a month debt payment, it, you, you don't have $500 to do other stuff with. So it's harder to save or it's harder to achieve that lifestyle that you want. So for a variety of reasons, keeping debt to a minimum, just really good practice throughout your life, right? And I think that there's sort of necessary types of debt, like for most people, again, a mortgage or car mm-hmm. loan or taking on, you know, sometimes debt for college and things like that, Absolutely. necessary type debts, then there's this, there's a lot of unnecessary 
type debts, um, higher interest rate stuff. So that's all very true. I could like to add another, again, a little little bit of uh, perspective on that too, from what I've seen, which is all goes with what you said. At the very beginning of someone taking on the debt, this is where I see some differences. So for some people, I put it in two categories right now. For some people, it's almost like back to the not paying attention part again, right? So let's kind of think of that. They're not the awareness we started out with today. And this is what I think is part of the ruse that's out there, both with cars and houses. You have your picture, your nice slick uh, salesman, car salesman sitting there with the plaid shirt and the plaid coat and the little hat with a little feather on it and the whole thing. And he's that saying, are you, you buying cars car? I know. I can get you into a car. How old are you? How much can you afford? How much can you afford? I can get you into a car for $300 a month. Can you afford that? And they sell you the payment. Yeah, yeah. And this is a common like scam to sell you who have low or no in very little income the payment. I can get you into a car for three hundred bucks. Can we do it? Let me talk to my manager in the back room. I'm sure I can get it for you. <laughs> right. But what the you're not seeing and what you're not thinking, this is someone who's thinking short term immediate and they're not thinking, recognize that maybe that car loan is a five or six or even seven. Some of them are getting to be seven. And the way it works that you've been showing is if I spread it out over seven years, the payment per month is smaller. I can afford the 300. But what they're not asking is what is the cumulative interest I'll pay in seven years for this car that's have zero value by the I know. I still am paying on this thing. I'm underwater on this car because my my more, my payment on it is older than the car's value. Oh my gosh! I I can I just, I have to sh- I have to share a story. I have to I have to interject. I'm sorry, Justin. I don't know if I shared the story with you about my camper. So I oh my gosh! So I. <laughs> I'm pretty, I'm pretty good with money, but I did make an impulsive purchase, sort of impulsive purchase last summer. And I bought a tow behind camper, a travel trailer and my kids love it. It's going to be great and all this stuff, but this is my experience by buying a camper. Um, it, I, 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 um, I wasn't sure if I was going to pay cash for it or put like a, you know, a healthy down payment and, and then take a loan. So I'm having these conversations with the finance person at, at the, the camping place, uh, sales place to be remain, to remain nameless. And I guess long, long story short, um, he, it's, it's, it's basically like you were just saying, Peter, where he's like all invigorated about this great deal that he's giving me. And, um, he's telling me, and I had already put like, I think I put a 50% down and he, and I was like, maybe, you know, just take, going to take a loan for the rest of it. And he's telling me about this great interest rate. They're going to offer me at 6%. And I was like, well, that's not really a great interest rate these days. I've got pretty good credit. You know, that's not, you know, and he just wasn't taking no for an answer. And not only that, the shortest loan they could offer me is, was 10 years. Their <laughs> loan options were 10 years, 15 years, or 20 years. And I was like, I, and I didn't, you know, I'm not the, the, I didn't spend a lot of money on this. This wasn't like a $200,000 camper. This is a, this is a relatively inexpensive in the world of campers, you know, a little, little toe behind thing. And I, and he, they would not give me a five-year loan. And, and not only that, but I, you know, he's walking me through this in 10 years and I'm like, I'm not going to be camping in 10 years. My kids are going to be off to college <laughs> or out of college. Right. And, and it was, it's just, it's, it's crazy to spread out 
a, a loan that under $20,000 loan for 10, 15 or 20 years. And, and I finally was, you know, kind of, kind of laughable. He didn't know what I did for a living, but it was kind of like, you know, laughable, but I said, and I was like, you know what? No, no, thank you. I, um, I'm just going to write you a check. And he was like, you know what? Um, and he was like trying to talk me into taking a loan. I was like, I just want to write the check. Why won't you just let me pay for the camper? And he was like, well, because that would be another 30 minutes of paperwork for me. Because he had already prepared the paperwork for the loan. And I was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> I just couldn't. It was crazy. You know, I believe that, um, you, you know, a, a car dealership or in, probably in this case, a camper dealership are also making money off the loan, too. You probably yeah. know that yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. They're, they're incentivized, mm-hmm. you know, and they, I'm sure yes. they don't tell to you To sell that. the loan. But yeah. just to stretch out a low, I mean, 10, 15, 20 years on a mortgage, sure. Mm-hmm. On a, a vehicle, I mean, it's just, yeah, yeah it's it crazy is. to not even, to not even, I mean, if some people have to do that, of course, but to yeah. not even offer a shorter loan was just like laughable. So, so just to go back, finish the, the point about the two people I would make was making earlier. There's some people that aren't paying attention will sign up for the seven-year car deal because the payment is short. Great. I can afford it. Yeah. Not thinking about the fact they're going to pay double the cost of the car over yeah. time. Okay, that's example one. Example two, and this, again, a lot of folks in my world, I understand that out of necessity from what they can bear, because they've done their budget. Remember, we talk, started off by talking about budget and what they can afford based on what they make and what they spend. The amount of money they have to play with is little. Yeah. Admittedly, for someone needing to buy a car who only has $500 left over per month to try and make economic decisions with, they may have to do the thing of buying in the short term, the shortest, smallest payment they can do. Let's give a good example of a house. And this is what I think is actually a valuable thing. If you buy a house, it's usually for 30 years, typically, although 40-year mortgages are coming in now, too. Oh, wow. I haven't heard that. Yeah, they are. They're coming more popular because why? They, they make the payments. Real, well, and real estate is more expensive 40 now. Years. Think how real, much interest yeah. you accrue in 40 years now versus 30. But wow. here's the secret. I always like to try and find the secret out of this. The secret out of it is for you to get a variable rate loan. And purposefully, one that, let's say, changes in five years or, uh, it, or, or seven years, right, on a house, and knowing full well you're going to refinance before the five- or seven-year mark is. You get the value of the 1.5% interest on the variable rate loan, and then you carry that up until six years, and then sell the house. So in a sense, you've got your foot in the market, you've got yourself into it, and you're not carrying this for 40 or 30 years. So in other words, you're playing the game back. You, you know you're going to refinance. And so in other words, there's ways for one to be smart about getting into the car or into the house, but playing the game a little bit. The, the last one, Bass, about the car again, just go back to that for one last thing. And I've done this, and we could do another whole program in this, the whole bit of leasing cars versus buying cars. Mm. Absolute advice I get from every single source that I read, including my buddy Trent Ham. Is that never stop talking about Trent Ham? You know, this guy is good. No, but anyway, he <laughs> refers to you a lot. Let's too. You know. Yeah, I'm sure when you're on your other when you're on your other talk shows and other <laughs> you, you talk so about it. Forget about him then. But just to simply say, <laughs> if, I, if I used buy used over new, if you buy new, almost every financial expert will say you are absolutely throwing money away from the start. Money, and it's true. Yeah. This is what they all agree on. You literally drive that car off and. You, 
about 10% of value right up, literally, as you go out. Because mm-hmm. you see what the resale is on all these cars. Mm-hmm. And then estimate. And then for the most part, people are, in many cases, the value of the car decreases so quickly on a new car, so quickly. Within five years, it's worth, if you do the math, it's like it's, le- it's going down 10 15% per year. Um, it depends on the car. Depends on the car. But you very well in five years could have a car that if you needed now to sell, you would gain far less than what you're paying for it. So the depreciation on that is usually a no win unless it's something like a super duper fantastic uh, 64 Ford Mustang or something like that. But other than that, you know, I, I you, know, you got to realize so this is you thinking longer. This is all your clients thinking more globally and broader than simply short term. That's a theme of today. Thinking it through, building the right habits and thinking larger rather than simply short term. Yeah. All right. We've got like five minutes left. I can't believe how little of our outline we got through. But if we think about the things that people like the really basic, basic stuff that people should know just starting out in life, or even if they're older in life and they were never taught this stuff, as we've already uh, agreed is, is the case that there's sort of a lack of education in the realm of, in, in personal finance and the education system in our country. Um, You know, we talked about the importance of saving early the importance of paying attention to your expenses, um, which, which helps people save um, the, the, uh, you know, again, compounding interest and saving early versus trying to save for something, you know, for a large goal later in life. We talked about the importance of keeping debt to a minimum and paying attention to how much interest you're paying on debt and really, uh, determining if, determining if the, ex, the, the purchase is worth the extra cost that, that, uh, that is the interest that you'll pay to the lender over a period of time. Um, we didn't really talk about this, but I, I do think it's important to just mention like the importance of having cash in the bank, like emergency reserves. You mentioned that briefly, Peter, um, you know, before people get into saving and investing, just the importance of having like a rainy day fund and emergency reserves fund. And that, that, that allows just having that allows people to avoid carrying unnecessary debt, right? If you have cash in the bank for something that comes up that you determine that you need, then you might not have to rely on a credit card at 15 or 20% interest that you might not be able to pay off. So um, that helps just create the, the good habits of not carrying very much debt. Um, yeah. And what, what are the other, like, if we had three to four minutes left, like what are the other really yeah, we, big, what about a, what about a quick, um, you know, credit score, maybe some credit, Thank you. credit yeah. score advice for younger folks. I mean, I know, I know it's a pretty deep topic, but maybe a few points you can just hit. Well, the, the, the importance uh, of having good credit. Yeah. And well, how do you do that? There's, there's a lot to cover there, but let me just say this starting out your motivation should be that there's a lot more to a, a good credit score than simply your ability to get low interest. Good credit scores, unfortunately, and but legally, are used to rate you, you consumers, on so many levels not related to money. Your ability to get an apartment, your ability to get insurance, your ability to adopt a child, your ability to do lots of things are based on, in part, on your credit rating. Are those financial? No, they are a rating of your character. So credit scores are misused, and my company and many others are trying to get things like your ability to get an apartment taken off or get a job. 
they can use your credit rating to rate you. So knowing that, that should incentivize your listeners right there. But one of the top things, the number one rule is pay your credit cards on time. That is the number one, because what you're building up is not the amount, right, to start. It's the pattern. The whole bit of what credit is, think about what credit is for a second. Credit is an evaluation of your healthy financial habits. If I am a payer and I pay each bill and I pay on time and I do that for the last five, six, seven, eight years, I pay my bills and I pay them on time, then then the reason they would lend me money is because my history says I will pay them back and I'll pay them back on time. If my history says... I I ignore my bills. I don't pay them. I don't like them. I ignore them. Then why would they lend me more money? The only way they're going to lend me more money is because I'm a higher risk. They will charge me more interest and they will maybe even not give me the loan at all. So rule number one is pay on time. Rule number two, back to what Alyssa has been saying, try to minimize the amount of debt you carry for months. It's pal Alyssa. Yes, that was so brilliant. He reads my blog and everything. Absolutely. So ideally, ideally, you use your credit card in a month, float the money, and then pay it off. Float the money the next month, pay it off. Now you're getting the best of three things. You're getting free money float. You're getting a credit score that goes up. And then you, in fact, are paying no interest. That's the best of all worlds. You're in the game. So to people out there recognize you can play a game or hang on to this debt that just drains you that's the that's the hole in the boat the boat's leaking here and you and you're not plugging the leak plug the leak get rid of that debt <laughs> uh, what's a good credit score these days like 650 or above it depends very much on what you're trying to do but each creditor has different things i would say you're you're in the good range if you're 750 or above so 750 or above i i think it's pretty i think it's pretty legitimate to to um rate people like for apartment to to rate people ba- to, to assess people based on their credit score for an apartment rental because the landlord wants to know if you're going to pay your rent I, I understand the job search thing it maybe depends on the job like if you're in mm-hmm. if you're applying for a job in finance i think that makes sense uh, how good are you with money and there, do you have access to other people's money and things like mm-hmm. that but for other types of jobs yeah who, mm-hmm. who knows but um all right we we have to wrap it up i think larry we got to wrap it up in like less than a minute right Okay, awesome. All right. Well, thank you for listening. You've been listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara Reed. You can find out more about me and my practice at McNamaraFinancial.com. Joined with me today was my brother and business partner, Justin McNamara. Check him out at McNamaraOfTheMerrimack.com. And then we had Peter Mullen of American Consumer Credit Counseling. Thank you so much for your time today, Peter, your expertise. And you can check out Peter at his organization at ConsumerCredit.com. And do you want to give out the number really quick? 800 my, my number there is 800-769-3571. Awesome. And if you want to reach me personally, I would welcome any questions from anybody, anytime via email, pmullen at consumercredit.com. All right. Thank you so much. And check out our podcast, a search your podcast app for McNamara on Money. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. 